Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor, send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast. Thank you for joining me again this week. It's well and truly the off-season for our Chicago Bulls, but here at Bulls HQ, we have enough spirit and soul to continue on through this off-season. And joining me today to talk Bulls is a man who, according to himself, is right about his Bulls predictions at least 93% of the time. It's the host of the Chicago Bullseye and Big Red Bus podcast and the head of the Sea Red Army, Fred Pfeiffer. Fred, thanks for joining me, mate. How are you? Oh, Mark, my brother, it's always good to be on, uh, to raise the Bulls IQ on Bulls HQ. I always love joining you and it's always a fun, <laughs> fun discussion. How you doing, my man? I am living good, mate. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm living the dream as, as we speak because we don't have to watch Bulls basketball, which is always a good thing, I guess, given how bad this season was at times. But um, yeah, going well. How, how, how are you, mate? I'm doing fantastic. Been super busy, you know, as a, as a father of two, a 14 and a 10 year old, and uh, you know, work. It's just been crazy the last month. I haven't been as invested in the Bulls as I usually am. Uh, as the season kind of wound down, I was just disgusted with the, you know, the quality of play. I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of normal to expect that. But overall, I'm starting to get the fire back. It's burning. It's burning red because. Uh, I am so excited about the possibilities, the great possibilities before us. I got to tell you, I thoroughly enjoyed, uh, I put the Sean Hyken, uh, your last episode of Bulls HQ on the, uh, on the iPod and headed to the gym today. And I loved every minute of it, man. That guy is, brings it. He's one of my favorite guys to listen to. I disagreed, uh, considerably with some of his points, but overall I I thought he was right on, spot on. The biggest one I, I go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you should put it on the car when you're driving around the kids and, you know, just have the kids be, you know, enriched by listening to Bulls HQ, have it, have it going in the car. <laughs> well, I, I reward the kids when they can, so they listen to my own podcast when I drive around. <laughs> they get to, Fair they, enough. They hear me talk. <laughs> I couldn't yeah, imagine listen. anything better for the kids. <laughs> Chicago Bullseye. They love it. <laughs> so they, they have two choices, either listen to me sing or listen to the podcast, and they usually go with the latter, but it's <laughs> always fun. Fair I gotta tell you, though, did you you didn't call out Sean? One of the notes he made, I got, I got before we start. Before Go we on. start, I gotta say this. You know, he kind he kind of said, you know, the Bulls started out with the injuries, and I mean, you, you of course, any anyone who watched the season knows that that was the the major reason. It was a complete disaster. It was I've never seen a season like this season where so many ro- rotation players went down. It was an absolute disgrace. And then he kind of said, well, every team. Every team has injuries, and he threw he threw out the nets with Levert, and I'm, I I was like just befuddled that anyone would make. The, yeah, every team has injuries, one or two injuries, but not every team had anything remotely like what the Bulls experienced this year. The Nets, let's look at the Nets. Who's the best player in the Nets? D'Angelo Russell played he played eighty one or eighty two games. 
How about Orlando Magic? Every 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 major rotation player in the Magic played seventy or more games. How about the Pistons? Their top three players played seventy five or more games. You see where I'm getting at here? Yeah, I the understand last your three point. Te- the last three teams in the playoffs were considerably more healthy than the beloved Bull. So it's not remotely comparable. Uh, the only I've never seen a season like this past season in terms of injuries, and it had a massive effect. It, it, it did, it did, and John Paxson clearly expressed that in his uh, end of season press conference, which you you have obviously done here to start the show. But uh, no, you're right. Obviously, injuries played a big part in how this season unfolded, and we're going to talk player grades in a sec. We're going to dive into each player and how they performed through the season, but most notably with Larry Markin, and obviously that sort of derailed his year. So I think what Sean was just saying, that injuries are part of the game. Obviously, the Bulls went through more than most, but I guess that can't be excuse every season because the injuries was the case last year. We didn't get to see the, the core really develop last year because of injuries. We didn't see it this year. Hopefully, the the injury excuse won't be played in year three of the rebuild, and hopefully, it won't need to be played. But the Bulls just need to be better at overcoming those injuries. Obviously, they sustained a lot during the season, but at the same time, they need to be they need to do a better job of building out a roster so they can actually sustain these injuries. Which I guess like a team like the Indiana Pacers did. They built that bit. They built up that deeper roster. Same with thing with the Nets. You know, Karis LeVert was really humming along in the, earlier in the season, but then Spencer Dinwiddie and uh, D'Angelo Russell took a step and that allowed, allowed them to recover. But the Bulls need to do that as well. Obviously, that didn't occur for the Bulls and that's why they got in, got down in that big-ass hole that they were in. So, yeah, I, I think I understand your point. I understand Sean's point, but hopefully next season there's uh, there's no more injuries so we don't even have to go over this issue but like I said what I want to do today because there isn't much to talk about is I want to I want to go into each player because like you, you referenced the podcast that I did last week with Sean the end of season sort of review podcast what we do, what we talked about was really just the high level meta stuff where we we're going over all the storylines throughout this season and unfortunately there were quite a lot a quite, quite a lot a lot of uh off off the court sort of storylines which sort of didn't necessarily allow us to get into the on court stuff but I want to do that with you today and I want to go into the main players at least and talk about their seasons give it a grade and go back and forth on that. So that's what I want to do with you today, Fred. And um, I guess the only caveat that I want to apply on it is the fact that we'll be grading these guys against a, a a realistic expectation of their own season against what we had hoped they would become. So if you see Lowry marketing graded as the same thing as some sort of bench player, then we're not necessarily saying they're of the same player or, or they are of the same tier or anything of that nature. But that's the only caveat I want to apply. Any lens you want to uh, run with it, Fred, I'm, I'm allowing you to do that. But let's get into it. I want to start with Zach Levine. Give me your thoughts on his season. I thought it was an A. Absolutely an A. He played considerably better than I expected him to play. I was shocked at how well he did this season. Uh, I, you know, I, it was. We go back to the summer, how controversial that signing was. How many people were outraged that the Bulls would match the Kings' offer for you know basically just under twenty million per year, and how angry people were. And now, in retrospect, after he goes through a year where he averages twenty three point seven points, he was top twenty in the league in scoring. Uh, he shot he shot the ball extremely well, got to the line, shot eighty three percent from the free throw line. Uh, just overall, I thought it was a fantastic year for Zach Levine. His three point percentage was also just under thirty eight percent, thirty seven point four. I think there were only four players in the league. Uh, he was 16th, I think, overall in scoring. I'd have to go back and look at the numbers. But off to, from what I recall, I think he was 16th in the league. There were only four players who shot the three better than he did. 
uh, out of the guys who outscored him per game scoring. So I can't say anything else, but it's an A to me. And he really impressed me. It was a little bit of a roller coaster ride when, you know, early in the year, I thought he was one of the guys responsible for the foolish idea to not show up to practice. And then I talked with Darnell Mayberry and I talked with, you know, Casey Johnson and I, and they really kind of shared with me how beloved he is in the locker room, how respected he is across the league. This guy's ceiling is much higher than I expected it to be. I have him now as potentially as a top 20 ceiling, whereas before I probably have a top 40. It's nothing but the, the sky is so, is so beautiful blue and red for the great Zach Levine. What say you? I, I, I kind of agree. I don't necessarily agree with the grade. I think you've probably gone a little bit higher. I'll give him a, a B plus because I, th- I think his defense is still pretty bad and it's still, it's still a big problem as part of his game. But like you, like you alluded to, and his contract, we we, did, we basically didn't really talk about his contract at all throughout the season. When it was signed, it was somewhat somewhat controversial. But the only time it was brought up this season was to say, well, he's he's definitely earning his money now. There was no sort of talk about is Zach Levine worth twenty million or nineteen and a half million dollars per season? Is he worth that extension that the Bulls gave him? And that talk didn't really surface because he. He basically put it in the background. So props to Zach Levine for doing that. But I think another thing as well is there were times this season where I completely forgot that he was coming back from that ACL ACL injury. And he just looked as quick as ever and as athletic as ever to the point where you're not even questioning his injury history or his knee histories. I'm quite comfortable in terms of his recovery of that ACL. So, I mean, that's always fraught with danger. It's different for each player, but... I'm not sitting here and just wondering about you know Zach Levine's health anymore, which that is a huge upgrade too, based on where we were last year or this time last season. So as you alluded to there, his all-round game sort of develops. I thought he took some strides as a playmaker as well. I know fans like to get on Zach Levine for being, uh, I guess, a little bit of uh, having a tunnel vision or not necessarily being the best passer going around, but I think he did make strides in his playmaking ability. He was actively trying to get Larry Markin in the ball. So I, I thought he was a really good season for Zach Levine, an 18.7 player efficiency rating, which led the Bulls. That shouldn't be uh, dismissed either. But um, I'm going to give him a B plus because I thought he had a damn solid season. You know, one thing I love about Levine too, I think he's got one of the fastest times from from like free, from three point line to basket. His speed is just and in quickness is is just exponentially better than most of the players in the league. And attacking the rim, and I love that about him. I think he he did it much better this season, uh, you know, compared to his previous year. I mean, I think people also forget what a disaster that really his first year with the Bulls was. I mean, it was such a small kind of a pool to to, to take from to judge him on, but uh, it was not a good a good run there, with the exception of the Minnesota game. And I feel so much better about Zach Levine. I think he's absolutely part of the core going forward. Yeah, one one hundred percent. I I agree with that, and I agree with your point that he got better as a as a driver. I mean, we didn't really see that from him in the past. He he tried to be that when he, he arrived back uh, from injury with the Bulls. It obviously didn't go that well, but his scoring at the rim, I thought, was just you know from uh, just amazing this season. He, he he it basically just clicked for him where he realized he could jump over everyone he's faster than everyone and if he puts the ball on the ground and uh, he can get to the rim at will and he, he realized that and not only could he get to the rim he was finishing so hopefully that's a sign of things to come for Zach Levine but I think there is scope for improvement as well because even though he was a 37% three-point shooter a lot of his 
a lot of his three-point shots were coming off the bounce. And I think if they do get a ball handle or two in there alongside him at point guard, then you can have him be off ball a little bit more. And I think he's just a natural shooter. He's just got a beautiful stroke to the point where you can put him in more catch-and-shoot scenarios. And I think that three-point percentage can sort of climb up to 39 40% as well. So he does have scope to improve as a scorer too. So uh, sky's the limit for Zach Levine to a degree, but uh, I'm giving him a B plus. You're going A. Uh, I'm not going to argue too much with that because I thought he was our best player this season, our most consistent player this season. And um, props to Zach for Levine for uh, shutting up all the doubters. I had my critiques of him uh, throughout the season and, and even prior to that, but uh, he had a pretty damn good season and you can only tip your hat to that guy. So shout out to Zach Levine for the season he had, but let's move on to the next player, which is Larry Markinen. Give it to me, Fred. What are you giving Larry? I'm giving Larry a B minus. Uh, you know, if we're going to base it based on February, I would have put it as an A. He was absolutely fantastic. I thought he lived up to his ability that month, averaging pretty much, I think it was like a 25, 10 or 11, 12, somewhere around their rebound. That's what I expect from Larry Markinen. But to me, his biggest disappointment to me has been his three-point shooting. He, shoot, he shot 36.1. You know, that's great for a big guy. I, I really feel he has, he should be shooting 38% or higher for the re- remainder of his career. And that's the one aspect of the game of his game where I felt like he's kind of disappointed me. I also thought, for the most part, he finished the season rather poorly. I didn't think he played well, and I know there were a lot of issues, obviously, with things far more important in basketball with his heart that apparently all checked out well. Uh, maybe it was just uh, you know, him being tired. He's still a young kid. But overall, B minus. You know, he averaged 18.7 points per game in 32 minutes. Again, only played 52 games, but. Lot far more bright, uh, bright points than the negatives. Shot eighty-seven percent from the line, which is just a stellar percentage. I do want to see him get to the line a little bit more. I mean, Zach Levine got to the line, for example, six uh, six attempts per game. Laurie was only at three point eight, not terrible, but not great. Uh, so I just want to see him improve in that aspect of his game a little bit more. But I thought he was better. I thought he grew again. I thought, especially in February, I, I really saw that was the best I've seen from him, and that's where I expect him to be if he can be a 25 12 type of player going forward he's going to make multiple all-star teams maybe get a couple all nbas in there and i've always said that to me out of anybody on his team he has top 10 potential but it all the whole key to that the whole key to everything with this guy's game is he's got to shoot 38 39 40 percent from the three-point line that will open up everything else for him that will create lanes passing lanes driving lanes, everything that he needs, it's got to come from that three-point line. So uh, hopefully this 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 summary is going to be able to improve that and really uh, achieve the ceiling that I believe he has for shooting the three, which will, and all good things after that will follow. Yeah, it's, this is a funny one because I agree with the grading. I've given him a B minus as well. And, and it, it, I guess it's convoluted in the sense that you can look at his numbers and you can be very positive and you can say that he took a ne- took that next step. And I do believe he did, but his season was bookended with injuries and ailments. So, I mean, he missed the first couple months of the season with the elbow injury, which is obviously unfortunate. That sort of prolonged itself into December and January, which is to be expected if you're if you're a shooting big man and you hurt your, your shooting elbow. You can't necessarily expect that play to come back and come back swishing things right away. So that needs to be noted. But at the same time, like you alluded to, his the close to his season didn't go to plan either, given all the uh, the off court, you know, fatigue and exhaustion issues that he was sort of suffering towards the end of the season. So the, 
you know, the, the beginning of it and the end of his season didn't go as planned. He's missed, you know, roughly 30 games. He missed a lot of games last season too, if I'm not mistaken, not mistaken. But I'm a little bit concerned about his body. Uh, he had the back issues last year. He's obviously had the exhaustion issues. The fatigue ones may be a bit random, but I, I think for Larry to take that next step, he need he really needs to improve his conditioning and just his physical well-being. I, he, he bulked up a bit, but I need to see more from him in terms of his core and his his legs, his leg strength. So that's the biggest improvement that I want to see from Larry Markin. And outside of what you mentioned, which was his shooting, so. And this is where it gets weird with Larry Markman because you look at his numbers, he averaged 19 points, 9 rebounds. That's pretty damn good for a second-year forward. But like you said, I, I expected him to be somewhat of a better shooter and a bit bit more efficient as a scorer. 43% from the field, only a 55 true shooting percentage, which is roughly around league average. I, I expected a little bit more from Larry Markman given how many how much of his points come from behind that three-point line and only 36% from three. It needs to be up with doing 38 39%. So it sounds like for the most part, we do agree on Lowry. That February month was amazing, but it, I guess it was only 10 games. So we have to put that in context too. But uh, I'll go for B-4 for Lowry as well. Yeah, I think he was also hurt a little bit by the fact that he didn't really get to play with Wendell Carter Jr., I, I guess yeah, that's a good bigger point. picture, bigger picture, you know, I, all three, I think we would both agree the three most important players on his team going forward are Levine, Laurie, and Wendell Carter Jr. And the, the biggest dip, disappointment for me in this entire season is I think they played 16 total games together. So that's that's a huge disappointment. You really need those guys to, to learn each other's strengths and weaknesses together and really kind of gel into a big red leviathan like I think they can be. Uh you know, overall, though, you, you kind of touched on this during the season. I, I agreed with you. I don't think it was stressed enough. That injury was serious. It was on his right elbow. I didn't expect him to start out well. In fact, he didn't. I thought he played really poorly in his first five to ten games. I was really starting to get concerned. And then you saw everything come together uh, when Otto Porter Jr. came, and it was no coincidence, too. He really helped spread the floor and, and create space for Larry to do his work and Levine. So I, I'm really excited about next year, though. I just feel with – those guys have an entire training camp to work together. I think that's going to be a much brighter season for Larry, and I expect them. I expect them to make the All Star team. Yeah, look, I, you definitely think more of Larry than I do. That's not to say I think uh, poorly of Larry. I obviously have high expect- expectations for him, but in a lot of ways, he's already exceeded those expectations for me. I, I didn't expect him to be averaging nineteen and nine in his second year. So, like I said before, that's what makes it grading him a little bit complicated. Because at the same time, whilst he's gone past my expect my initial expectations, when you reset those baselines. Maybe he didn't necessarily live up to it in certain areas, but I think he certainly did improve to your earlier point. I thought he improved as a passer as well, showed a little bit more as a playmaker. He needs to continue to do that, needs to continue to get to the free throw line and be a little bit more versatile as a scorer, but that that's the task for him in year three. But let's move on to someone who I'm tipping we're probably going to disagree a lot on, and that is Bulls point guard Chris Dunn. What, what did you uh, grade his season? What did you rate it? Chris Dunn, obviously, I am I, going to go give him a C. I think it's uh, people are far too hard on Chris Dunn's season. You know, he started out disappointing. Obviously, he had a baby to start out the year. Uh, he missed a few games, and in his first game, he hurts his knee. He misses the first part of the year. So right away, it started out with a damper and uh, did not get much better from there. But if you look at his shooting metrics, every shooting me- metric approach career highs, he shot uh, 35 Let's see, it was 35.4 from three, which actually is just a few points below Laurie Markinen. That I never expected him to get that high. 
So to see growth at the three-point line was huge. Shot just under 80% from the free throw line. Six assists per game is nothing to sneeze at either. That's a really solid number for a point guard. Just the turnovers are still too high. The the decisions he made, I, I his decision-making was questionable. But I thought there were some really good points at the end of the season. The last five games I thought were his best string of games for the entire year. I was at the Indiana game when he had 17 assists. It was a fantastic game. Yeah, he was awful on the West Coast trip. He had some very poor periods during the season. And I'm not sure what was up with him, and it's obvious the organization isn't high on him. But big picture, he's still an elite elite perimeter defender. I don't know if you saw that NBA poll where the teams ranked each each other's players. And he got as many votes in there as uh, some really solid defenders uh, like Draymond Green. Uh, so people realize how good he is on a defensive end. I just think I, I absolutely would not let him go right now. I think he's at an all-time low spot. I think you bring in a veteran point guard or draft one to compete with him, and hopefully he'll raise his game and step up to the challenge. This one, this one's an interesting one because this comes back to what I initially said, where it, it, it all depends on your expectations for that player. And last season, he clearly took a step. Uh, I don't think he took a step forward this year. He probably stagnated and or repeated what he did last season to a degree. His numbers are very similar in that sense. But for me, I was expecting another improvement from Chris Dunn and that didn't happen. So I have to factor that into his grade that I have to give him. Uh, like you said, he suffered through injuries again. I think at this point that Chris Dunn is an injury prone player. The way he plays, I think is always going to be conducive to him picking up some sort of injury so we have to factor that in too but you made the note there that he's improved as a shooter I disagree like whilst his three-point percentage ticked up a few points to 35 percent I don't think his his shooting actually was an improvement because in in terms of a percentage of his field goals his three-point rate actually fell to a level below even his rookie season so I, I can't see that as an improvement his volume from the three-point percentage, uh, three-point line is just too low for me to actually care that much about his three-point percentage because, yeah, he's shooting 35%, but if he's only taking two a game, defenses do not respect him at all, and he's taking a lot of open threes. So to me, that isn't an improvement. As a playmaker, I guess he stayed somewhat stagnant. Uh, stagnant. You mentioned that Indiana game. I thought that was his best game by far that I've ever seen him play. I wanted to see more of that from Chris Dunn. I expected him to be the most important player for this team, given the hole that the Bulls had at point guard. So when I put that all together, I can't help but feel that this was kind of a wasted season for Chris Dunn. So I'm going to give him a D. So you, you still feel like you, you, the defensive end, you're not, you weren't impressed with Chris Dunn this season? I, I know he definitely took a step back on that end. I don't think he achieved you know, how good he was the season before, where if he would have played five more games, he would have been top five in the league in steals. Uh, he would have qualified in steals per game, but I still think as a defender on that end, on, the, on the defensive end, his length, his athleticism, he's an elite perimeter defender, and he's significantly better than anybody else on the Bulls. He's better than anyone else on the Bulls, but that doesn't necessarily make him someone that I'm, you know, I, I necessarily think they need to keep. And I just can't get past looking at some of his stats, like for example, the forty-eight point four true shooting percentage for a point guard who wants to have the ball in his hands for thirty minutes a game. That's just that's just not good enough. That's way below league average. Uh, 12.4 player efficiency rating. That is below league av- league average too. So these are numbers that kind of are easily replaceable by someone in free agency or someone in the draft. So I don't think Chris Dunn did enough to cement himself. I, I came into this season wanting him to take over that point guard of the future mantle. I had high hopes for him. I wrote about in the offseason that he's the most important player on this roster. 
based on how the roster was designed, but he let me down. So maybe I'm being a bit too harsh, but I can't go past a, a D at this point. You say easily replaceable. Maybe offensively, he's not easily replaceable defensively. He's just not. There's no one you're going to find out there with the possible exception of, of Patrick Beverly, who's who's equal or better in Chris Dunn on the defensive end. And when Zach Levine's your shooting guard, you better have a guy that can bring it on the defensive end. And I, I, that's why I, I do not want him off the roster. At worst, he will be the best backup point guard in the league. At best, you bring a guy in here like Patrick Beverly who really pushes him, really pushes him hard, and Chris Dunn really takes advantage, really reaches the ceiling and becomes a, a good quality point guard in the NBA. Defense first, that's what I want from him. I'm not, I'm not as concerned on the offensive end. As long as he can be a threat from the three-point line, if he gives another jump next year and gets 36 37%, from three, uh, that and brings the defense that he's I'm accustomed to when watching him. That's all I want from him. I mean, we have plenty of scores on his team. I'm not as concerned. I agree. The true shooting percentage is a disappointment. He doesn't get to the line enough. Yeah, but I, I think as a defender, he he's he's rock solid. And it's it's kind of funny to me how we we point out to some guys and focus on how bad they are defensively, even though they're very good offensively. But for Chris Dunn, let's just ignore his defense and focus on his faults as an offensive player. Well, I think it comes back to com- uh, expectations for it. I mean, we're, we're looking for Chris Dunn to be that perfect fit next to, to Zach Levine. And in some senses, on paper, he should be from a defensive point, but he can't catch and shoot and, and make those three-pointers. He's not a good off-ball player. He doesn't move without the ball. So what is he doing with Zen when Zach Levine has the ball? I don't think he is a good fit next to Levine. So you're going to have to put him on that bench. And is, is he someone that you, you're you comfortable playing 20 minutes a game off the bench? Yeah, probably. I, I would be okay with him as a backup. Absolutely. But does he want something more than that? And is, is he willing to be, accept being a backup? That's the question I don't know. But uh, I, 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 I was disappointed with his season. I, I can't help but get past that. Uh, I thought uh, he should have been better. This was a, a make-or-break year to, to a degree for Chris Dunn. Next season is certainly going to be that. But... Uh, I, I, I can't get past it being a disappointment. So, yeah, um, look, we don't agree. I'm going to give him a D. I know some some fans will disagree with that point of view, but uh, I wanted more from Chris Dunn. He had the uh, the opportunity to do it, but uh, didn't necessarily do it. Maybe <laughs> maybe he's forced into it next season. Hopefully hopefully I'm wrong here, Fred, and hopefully you're right, and, and Chris Dunn can show us next season in his fourth year in the league that he can get it done. You want him off the roster then? This summer, you want him to extricate from the roster? I won't say yes that I want him off the roster because that's dependent on the draft and free agency, but I'm certainly not wedded to the idea of keeping Chris Dunn, and I'm very okay with moving him if the situation makes sense. And I'll say this. The Bulls had a better net rating with uh, Ryan Archidiakono on the floor than Chris Dunn. So I'll leave that one there to marinate for you, Fred, whilst I tell the listeners about this week's sponsor, which is Harry's. At Blue Wire, we don't just partner with any advertiser. We want to make sure we are giving our listeners a good deal on a product. That's exactly why we love doing business with Harry's. Harry's is giving Blue Wire listeners a shaving kit for just $3. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire and you'll save $10 on a trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shaving gel, and a travel blade cover. If you're not familiar with Harry's, it's time you should be. 
Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. The founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. So join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com forward slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they will give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com forward slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. All right, back now to the show. Fred, we didn't agree on Chris Dunn, but I'm tipping we're going to have some glowing things to say about the next guy that I want to talk about, who is Bulls rookie center, number seven pick in the last draft. Wendell Carter Jr., what did you make of his season? What did you rate it? Tell me what you think about the Bulls rookie center going forward. I'll give him a B minus, and that's kind of a stretch. I mean, he only played 44 games. I was kind of disappointed with him on the offensive end. I really expected him to shoot much better from the three-point line. In fairness to Wendell, he didn't really get an opportunity to do that. And I think he would have seen his three-point percentage raise significantly if he would have had the opportunities that he should have had from that from the three-point line. Um you know, he shot over 40% in college. I think he's got a fantastic stroke. And I think, I, that I really think his shooting ceiling for the Bulls to achieve everything that I think they can going forward, it's imperative for Wendell Carter to shoot more threes and hit him at a high rate. So that one, that 18.8 from three was the number that really hurt. But everything else about his game on the defensive end from the free throw line, he shot 80%. Um, overall 10.3 points per game and only 25 minutes per game. I love everything about Wendell Carter. I, I agree with you that the Bulls, I did not think, made the best use out of his talents. I thought he should be playing uh, more of like a point center position and, and facilitate a little bit more. He spent far too much time in the post, which is, you know, something that, you know, archaic. It's just, it's just an old school thought. Hey, he's a big center. Let's throw him in a post and see what he can do. I, I don't think that's the best use of his talents. Yeah, I think you should, they should have worked him you know, at the high post, let him do like kind of like a Gasol type of how the Bulls used Paul Gasol in 2014. That kind of uh, way I think would have been the best way to utilize his talents. And I, But I, as far as a player going forward, defensively, I think he has first, first NBA defensive all NBA potential. I think he's going to be an elite defender in this league. He's already shown that at the age of 19. Very few players I've ever seen with the instincts he has at this young age. And I, I, it's just scary to think how good he's going to be if he doesn't get injured uh, at 23, 24, 25 on the defensive end. It's going to be incredible. And I think he's absolutely a core, a piece of the core going forward. He's going to be uh, work with seamless cohesion with uh, Laurie Markinen. And I think those two are going to represent the best front court in the NBA for the next 10 years. What say you? <laughs> I love it when you do that because you always you always finish your what say you part. You always bring forward some sort of ridiculous type <laughs> type type premise where I can't necessarily argue with because I'm just too flawed with it. I have no idea if Wendell Carter or Larry Markin are going to be the best front court going forward in the NBA. I damn sure hope so, but um, I don't know for certain. But I, I hope you're right. But um, look, what I will say is 10.3 points. Per game from, from Wendell Carter Jr. Seven rebounds, 54.1 true shooting percentage, 1.3 blocks and a 15.2 player efficiency rating. If you can get that from your number seven pick, that, uh, from your number seven pick rookie center each season, that, that's a damn good, uh, that's a damn good rookie season from your rookie center. So 
I think the numbers stacked up pretty well. His three-point percentage wasn't great. I'll get into that a little bit later on, but I guess I'm going to give him a B minus two because we have to factor in that he did miss half the, the half the season, unfortunately. So again, injuries playing an issue for the Bulls, but I have to factor that in for him. But when he did play, like you said, he was an unbelievable defensive presence. And when you consider that he was 19 all season, had no NBA experience, and what he was doing on defense... To me, I have to really prop that up because what he was doing as a rookie center was just crazy, crazy, abnormally just nuts to me. So uh, I give him massive props for what he did defensively. I've I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm I'm disappointed in the way the Bulls used him all season. I, I hated the fact that they made him a post player. I think he's more of a face-up shooter. If you go back and watch some of his summer league games, some, some of the shots that he was taking as a face-up shooter, he looked like a confident jump shooter. But by the end of it, I think the Bulls really had discouraged him to the point where he lost confidence in his jump shot. So um, that really annoyed me, and particularly under, under Boylan. In 20 games under Jim Boylan, Wendell Carter Jr. only took eight threes. That's just unacceptable in a rebuild. You should be mm. encouraging the guy to shoot from distance. So uh, I'll, that really annoyed me. And like you said, I was, I was disappointed that they, the Bulls didn't utilize him more as a passer. So those things need to change for next season. But I'm really high on Wendell Carter Jr. I think he's going to be a great NBA player. But uh, for the season, mostly because of the injuries, I'm giving him a B-. minus. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's what I gave him too, right? I think we both agree. Yeah, you did. So we're aligned. Um, It's crazy scary how much aligned we are. Would you agree? Would you agree he has first all-NBA defensive team potential within the next three or four years? Maybe not three or four years because that's the type of award that they sort of reward, you know, when you're uh, maybe in your prime, when you're 25, 26, 27, those sorts of years. So maybe it's further along, but I think he does have potential to be a an all a on-all defense player for sure. Some of the Based on what we saw as him as a 19-year-old, the reads he was making, getting his position, and the way he was sort of vertically challenging guys at 19 years old, when we consider that his body isn't even nowhere close to being in its peak form right now, I, I think he does have that defensive potential for sure. Yeah, he's he's amazing just as far as a rim defender. Every great team needs that. Even in today's NBA, you need to have a guy who can clean up the mess if there's any perimeter penetration. And I'm really excited about what this guy's going to look like in two or three years. So I even think next year it's going to be fantastic and he's going to be a uh, a key part of our, our turnaround. Most definitely. So that that's the main guys, or at least the four guys that I considered the core players going into this season of this rebuild. We can we can talk about the uh, the next crop of players who probably more bench guys or, or guys that probably don't have the same sort of weight or status as those four that we sort of discussed a little bit earlier on. But maybe we can group this one all together, all together considering how the season sort of played out. I'm talking about Otto Porter Jr., Bobby Portis, and Jabari Parker. It's, it's kind of hard to... I don't necessarily want to go into each individual because their seasons were so fragmented and so distorted with the Chicago Bulls, but maybe we can just quickly touch on it and break it down a little bit because... um what did you think of the Jabari Parker signing in hindsight now, Fred, that we've seen how it's sort of played out? Because I've definitely got my take, but um, I'm interested to hear what you think because I know what you thought when it initially happened, but um, in hindsight, what did you make of it? Well, I thought, where, where do I go with this one? Uh, Jabari <laughs> Parker, first of all, the signing, I, I will defend it till kingdom come. When you're, oh, in the, when, when you're in the second year of a rebuild and you have a 23-year-old in – uh, as talented offensively as Jabari Parker is, to me, it's a no-brainer. If you have room on your on your cap to sign him to a one-year deal, you sign him to a one-year deal. Uh, in that position the Bulls were in, it's not about fit. It's about talent aggregation. 
And th- this idea that, well, we already have a couple power forwards and, you know, why should we add another one is just, to me, absolutely ludicrous. Um, and you know what? It actually proved out to be that way since within the first two weeks, Laurie Markinen and, and Bobby Portis were both out for significant periods of time. So basically for the first month and a half, it was just Zach Levine and Jabari Parker out in, on the court doing things on the offensive end, surrounded by a bunch of barely barely average role players at best. So And Wendell Carter Jr., obviously, too. He did pretty good. But on the offensive end, he, he's still a 19-year-old rookie. So it's clear uh, that Wendell Carter has immense, had immense amounts of talent. He showed it in the limited potential, limited time that he had. He averaged 14.3 points in only 26 minutes per game for the beloved Bull. Played fantastic for Washington overall when he went out there. Obviously, he's defensively challenged. He's not a great defensive player, but so are a lot of NBA players. So I thought the signing was smart. Obviously, he didn't, didn't work out, didn't play great. Uh, especially early on. Then he was, for some reason, benched by Boylan, which I thought was just an incredibly moronic and idiotic decision. Um, I, I still believe that. I think that was Jim Boylan, uh, Boylan's worst decision. I didn't agree with it. I think it was dumb. Um, and Zach Levine, you could tell, was irritated by it. And, you know, I love Zach's comments defending, defending uh, him and Jabari Parker. And I just... I will, you know, I could wax poetic on this issue. I think it's just incredibly stupid. But it was funny when he finally did get his minutes back, he was scoring anywhere between 16 and 20 points in about, it seemed like 20 minutes, game after game after game. And then and as you look in retrospect, Jabari Parker was a big part of us getting out of Porter Jr. So the signing in, in retrospect was a big win because out of Porter Jr. is going to be an essential part of this team for the next two, three years and hopefully going forward. So I was hoping you would fall on your sword for it there, Fred. I, I gave you the opportunity, but um, it looks like you're going down fighting on this particular issue. The the Jabari Parker signing was a complete F. It, it was. Let's not beat around the bush. It was an absolute disaster of a signing. I don't mind the idea of bringing Jabari in, but for $20 million, it was a complete ludicrous contract from the start. It robbed the Bulls of their depth and it robbed the opportunity to build a, a better roster around the younger players because they poured so much money into Jabari, which I don't think they needed to give him 20 million, maybe 12, 15 million, whatever it had to be. 20 million was ridiculous. So the signing was stupid, but I do agree with you. The way the Bulls sort of handled Jabari's playing time, particularly under Boylan, was also stupid. So I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to give that an F as well, the way Jim Boylan handled Jabari Parker, but it, it's odd because they were able to turn that into a, a good player. A, a, you know, Otto Porter Jr., obviously he only played 15 games for the Bulls, but the Bobby Portis and Jabari, Party, Jabari Parker trade for Otto Porter, I'd give that a B plus. So it's a weird convoluted issue in how you how you separate it. I know some people like to put it all together and say you don't get Otto Porter without Jabari Parker, and I guess that is true, but that doesn't remove the fact that the signing Parker initially was just a complete disaster of a move. So... I, I don't know how I want to lump it all together, but I, I guess the Otto Porter thing turned out really damn good. Jabari Parker and Bobby Portis, I'm uh, I'm glad to see the back of, even though I can sit here and say that uh, I think Jim Boylan handled it damn poorly. It, how could it be a disaster of a move if it turned into Otto Porter Jr.? It wasn't a disaster of a move if you got Otto Porter Jr. out of it. If we didn't sign Jabari Parker, I'm not entirely sure we got Otto Porter Jr. Would you concur? 
Uh, well, I what I would say is that we learned a week or two ago that the Bulls were very close not to getting Otto Porter Jr. because their first point of call in trading Jabari Parker was trading him to the Lakers for Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope and Michael ex- Beasley. Who would have been an expiring contract, not Michael Beasley, and both were expiring contracts and they would have had all that cap space that we always, so many people were preferred to Otto Porter Jr. Yes, agreed. The Otto Porter Jr. only became available because of the of the injury, the the, the season ending, you know, injury, right? So I mean, uh, for um, John Wall, that only that's that's why he became available. Otto Porter Jr. was not available by the Wizards until that injury happened. But regardless, if we did not have that contract, we could not have made that deal. They got lucky. I'll, I'll say that they got <laughs> lucky go. that they were able to. No, there we go. Well, no, that's it's true. They got lucky that the Washington Wizards were that stupid in paying their players that mu- that amount of money, particularly Wall, and the fact that he got injured that they had to trade away Otto Porter. The Bulls were lucky that they they found a partner for Jabari Parker or a team willing to take on his expiring $20 million. I would have been happier to let Jabari expire with the Bulls and play out the rest of the season than doing that KCB, uh, KCP deal that they initially had on the table. They but the I guess... I know they didn't do the deal, but that was the the initial deal that they were going to do. So they turned a wrong into a right, which they deserve credit for, which is why I gave them a, plea, a B plus for that specific element of the you deal. You just but- said they got lucky. Which one is it? They either deserve credit for making the deal or they got lucky. They did get lucky, but I gave that specific deal a B plus. It can be two things at once. But the initial signing <laughs> of Jabari Parker was a complete F. There's no discussion about it. There, it was a fail. It's totally wrong. The, the, the logic behind the decision was 100% right. And Otto Porter Jr. is on the team be, partly because Jabari Parker. So it was an absolute home run in the big picture. We could say they got lucky. They turned Jabari Parker and Bobby Portis and Otto Porter Jr. You could say the Wizards were dumb. You could say the Bulls got lucky. That's the fact of what happened. And in retrospect, that is a home run, as Sean Hyken said correctly, a home run every time. Well, let me ask you this. Had they not signed Jabari Parker and had they brought in two or three other veteran free agents from the get-go, does this season look differently Obviously, the Bulls, let's factor in the injuries. Let's let's assume that still happens. But in, rather than having the one player in Jabari Parker, but then you've got two or three other free agents, whoever they may be. I don't have the, the names well, yeah, in front exactly. of me Throw at the moment. those players. The guys the Lakers signed? Like, who are the guys that legitimately we could have brought in on year contracts and still kept our a cap flexibility? Yeah, the guys the Lakers. I'm not, I'm not even suggesting a one year one year free agents like the Lakers, but it could be two three year deals or something like the Bulls are aiming to do you can't this. Just off-season. say that and not throw out any names. Let's hear the possibilities. Well, I don't have the names in front of me. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hypothetical. In that situation, are the Bulls a better team from the get from the get go? And, and do they have a more realistic chance of sustaining all the injuries that they had and maybe having a better record and actually maybe maybe no, just no maybe team in the pushing NBA, towards the playoffs. No team in the NBA can prepare for six injuries to rotation players. None. Golden State, yeah, name the team. Name one team in the league that can withstand six rotation player injuries that kept them out for vast majorities this year. It's like I'm living in bizarro world in retrospect on this season. I've never seen it. 
I've never seen it. You can't overcome for injuries when you give a bad player $20 million. That's the point, Fred. So that's why it was an F, but we're not going to agree anymore. I never want to talk about Jabari Parker again. <laughs> never again. <laughs> oh, oh, God. All right, let's, let's, let's get into the bench players. Let's, let's whip through these guys a little bit quickly. We don't have to go into them too, in too much detail, but let's start with the main man, Ryan Archidiakono. <laughs> what are you giving him, Fred? Quick, quick, let's get, let's keep this short and snappy. What are you giving his grade for the well, season? Based on what I, what I expected of him or what, what he deserves overall? Like, if you look at... <laughs> however you want to take it. However you want to take well, it. I give him a, a, a B minus. A B minus for the years. You know, 37% from three. Um, it was, I, I didn't expect anything from him. I thought he was a, a, a you know, a D-leaguer. Um, or obviously like a, like a guy you'd play on weekends with. I saw him play last year up close with the, with the Windy City Bulls and he didn't even impress on that court. Obviously he did some good things this year, but the fact remains that he's too small, too slow, too short to play in the NBA consistently unless he's hitting at a, hitting his jump shot at a high level. 37.3 is barely there from three, barely there. Hang on, but you you were praising Chris Dunn for shooting thirty five percent. Yeah, because Chris this Dunn year. is significantly better defender than Ryan Archie Diancano. He's significantly better. Can't even pronounce his name. You've had him. He's been on the Bulls for a full season. You still can't pronounce his name. <laughs> but if you're going to wax poetic about Chris Dunn shooting thirty five percent, when Archie Diacono gives you thirty seven percent, you at least yeah, have to no be doubt. consistent in giving him that. Hey, look at that. I agree. Thirty seven percent. Thirty seven point three percent is a solid percentage. As long as he can continue to do that. He'll have a place as a third guard in the NBA. No doubt about it. Uh, and, you know, he averaged 6.7 points in, what, 24 minutes per game. He's still not a guy with any gravity. This is something I wanted to get into a little bit. Gravity is important for a player. It's 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 the – before you play the game, I know all your jokes about Javari Parker that we just had to endure. Before every game the Bulls played this year, there were two guys that teams worried about. That was uh, in early in the season, Zach Levine and Jabari Parker. And in every pregame session, the coaches talked about those two players. Nobody talked about Ryan. Nobody talked about him. Nobody worried about him. There are player, there are role players with gravity that affect how a defense guards someone. Uh, Otto Porter is one of those players because he hits three at such a high percentage. Guys like Kyle Korver. The Bulls have nobody on this team off the bench, with the exception of um, Denzel Valentine, who anybody worried about from three-point line. Uh, that's a guy that people worried about. Obviously, he didn't play all year. So Ryan needs to keep on hitting at 37.3. He'll have a career as a third guard off the bench. Um, but he's not somebody that going forward, gosh, if he's not on the team next year, you think I'm going to lose five minutes of sleep about it? Of course not. I, I, if, you had, <laughs> if you had to say him or Shaq Harrison, who would you rather have back next year? If you had to say Archie Diakono. I think, Archie I think, I think that's ease. insane. I think that's insane. I, well, look, I, I, I had to sit to listen. I had to sit, listen, uh, sit here listening to you explain gravity to me <laughs> like you're Albert Einstein or some crap. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know who you are well positioned here to say what is, is or isn't insane. But let's talk about Shaq Harrison, seeing as you brought well, him up what's quickly. Your grade on Ryan, what did uh, your grade? Not in the NBA. What's your oh, A plus. I don't even have to say it. A plus. Okay. <laughs> Shaq Harrison. And what are you giving him? I'm giving him a B plus because I did not. I, uh, first of all, Isaac Newton created uh, w- was a guy who the the theory of gravity, not uh, Einstein. He? Yes, uh, let's oh, get well, that straight. He we'll give our wow. props to Isaac Newton. Back to uh, where were we at? Uh, Shaq Harrison. Shaq Harrison. <laughs> this guy would be, I think, approaching all star status if he could just hit a jumper. 
He's he's a terrible shooter. But as far as athletic ability, A+. plus. As far as defensive want to, plays his butt off. I love this kid. I absolutely love him. But he can't shoot. 27% from three is is a disgrace. Um, you know, and he's he is, what, 25 years old? I'd like to see him on the Bulls next year as a third guard off the bench uh, behind Dunn and whoever we sign as a free agent or draft. But um, so I do want him on the Bulls next year. But B plus, you know, um, he just need he just got to learn how to shoot. And if he hasn't done so right now, I'm not I'm not entirely confident it's ever going to happen. Yeah, I mean that B plus is a fair one. I think versus versus expectations, he was someone they picked up early in the season off the waiver wire. He was a good signing. Uh, so. If, Based on what he was earning, I think he did pretty well. He, I, I, every time I watched Shaq Harrison and he grew on me more as the season went on, I, I did, don't understand why the Phoenix Suns let him go considering their issues at point guard. I'll give him a B- because of the, the things that you sort of noted there about his offensive game. He's got a he's got a lot of issues there in terms of his offensive game that may prevent him from being a, uh, a decent NBA player. But based on expectations, I'll give him a B-. Let's move on to the big fella in the middle off the bench, Robin Lopez. What did you rate his season? Well, his first two months were an F. He was awful. I think that's something that people kind of... Yeah, he was bad. We forget that. We forget that. Exactly. Exactly, Mark. I think people forget how bad he was in preseason, how bad he was off the bench to start the season. He was was terrible for Hoiberg. And, you know, so I was very disappointed with that. And then I've never seen a turnaround. I mean, he was absolutely fantastic at times. And the second half of the season was kind of a bizarre year. But a player like that, unfortunately, is kind of like a, a dinosaur in today's age, right? I, I love him as a teammate. I think he's a great guy. Uh, and I think he's a good player to have. But can't hit the three, shot 22% from three. I just wish he would develop his brother's ability to hit the three. And then I think he'd be immensely more valuable. But I'd like to see him back, potentially. I mean, the Bulls are going to need a guy to back up Wendell Carter Jr. and Larry Markinen, just assuming we don't get Zion. If we don't get Zion, if we get Zion, just you know, tell Robin to go home and we'll just go with ride with those three, each guy playing 32 minutes per game as our front court rotation. But, you know, I kind of tweeted this out today. Would you rather have Robin Lopez, Taj Gibson, or Jakeem Noah next season out of those three players? Who would you like to see come in to back up Wendell Carter Jr. and Larry? Well, it's interesting that you would say that because I've got something posting this week coming up about that very situation. So I'll save that for that. But uh, I, I will say that uh, it's not Robin Lopez. I'll put it that way. But uh, I, th- I thought he did have a decent season. Did I get a grade from you there? I'll give him a B minus because he played so well at later on. Yeah, I'm 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 going to give him a B. One for putting up for this damn season. I, I think he deserves a big shout out for just just putting up with it and just being an absolute trooper. So I, I couldn't imagine. It. Look, it was tough for us fans to be part of it for, but for Robin Lopez to sort of play those last few games or that last month with those G League level talent around him, he deserves major credit for that. But I'll give him a B. I think he's a replaceable option in free agency. I wouldn't mind if he is back, but I think there are better options for Robin Lopez going forward. Uh, let's talk about Wayne Seldon. What did you make of his season, Fred? <laughs> oh, here's another one. Your, your beloved children. One of my boys. <laughs> your beloved children. Well, I mean, the fact that they were able to turn a complete bum like Justin Holiday into, into Wade, <laughs> Wayne Seldon, who actually was a... And two second-round picks. Yeah. That's an A-plus trade, by the way. I'll give the, I'll give the credit to management on that one. <laughs> there we go. I mean... They could have got just like a, a box of had half-eaten donuts. It would have been an A-plus trade for <laughs> Justin Holiday. Selden, uh, you know, 
really showed, I thought, some some nice moments. But overall, look at his numbers when you step back. 31.5% from three sucks. 40% from the field. Nothing to brag home about. Eight points in 22 minutes per game. You know, he's got some nice – he brings some nice things, some want-to, some decent defense. But, you know, he's another guy that I think, you know, comparing him to Justin Holiday, yeah, it was a huge win. Uh, but overall, he's a guy so easily repa- replaceable. And I think on any good team, Wayne Selden is a guy who's playing at 11 to 15 on your roster, not 6 to 10. What say you? I, I think he can be the 8th or ninth guy in your rotation. I liked what he did for the Bulls. I'm going to give him a B too. I thought it was a great trade. I think for the context of what he was able to do for the team, there was times where they didn't have a ball handle in that second unit, but he surprised me with what he could do with his... Uh, with, with the ball as a bit of a playmaker, I think he can develop as a shooter. He plays hard on defense. I like Wayne Selden. He should be re-signed. I'm going to give him a B, which leads me into the last player that I want to grade, which is Chandler Hutchinson. Didn't really see much of him due to injuries, but uh, what did you think of his season, Fred? Well, I, I, out of all... Do not say Pippen. Do not say anything. <laughs> we, we, not... we won't. We'll stay, oh. away. we'll stay away from that discussion. Uh, out, out of all the players who got hurt this season, I was probably honestly most disappointed with his injury in that I thought he was really kind of turning a corner in that Indiana game that we referred to earlier, which is one of the best games of the season for the team. Every time he was out in the court, the Bulls were playing significantly better defensively. I think he has elite defensive perimeter ability. Like He, he is a, a very underrated athlete. I saw that early on when I went to a preseason game and he had a dunk that just I could not believe. Uh, his athleticism is so underrated and so needed with the team in general. I think that's one aspect of the team. Outside of Levine, they're not like uber-athletic, right? I, I think he's a guy that's such a, so important as far as athleticism goes. Um, and I, I loved a lot of things about him. Did not love his three-point shooting. Didn't really hit at a great rate, but I think there's a there, he's got a significantly higher ceiling there. You know, I don't think he's ever going to max out at a great percentage, probably. Uh, but I do foresee him becoming a rotation player, a sixth, seventh, eighth guy off the bench, uh, valuable player. And he may, he may surprise a lot of people in that he could eventually develop into a player who could start at the three and make out a Porter potentially expendable after his contract's up. What say you? I mean, I hope so. I hope so. I, I I hope he can be that player. I thought he had an interesting rookie season. His his jump shot is a is really problematic. It's extremely slow. It's not great looking to to watch his his release. He really needs to work on that quite a bit. He's a great slasher and a cutter, so I'll give him credit for that. Even though he can't necessarily shoot the ball, he does find other ways to be a decent, not a decent offensive player, but at least be active on the offensive end. But I think what he did so well was actually rebound the ball. His rebound rate was um, exceptionally high for a rookie wing, so he can be a fantastic rebounder for the Bulls. And if he has the ability to grab and go and to really get into that uh, transition game, and maybe be as a finisher for himself, but even a bit of a playmaker, then that's what I'm hopeful that Chandler Hutchinson can grow into. But I'm, I'm concerned about his jump shot. That's ultimately going to determine how good he can or can't be. Um, so hopefully he's working on that, uh, working uh, diligently on that over the summer. So I'll probably give his season, his rookie season, a C. You have to factor, obviously, the injuries into that. I thought his broken jump shot was a little bit concerning. So uh, I'll give him a C. C. I'll go with... Uh... Uh, yeah, I'll go C too. It's amazing how much in agreement we've been. I think most people would say we're on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of uh, opinions about the beloved bull, yet we do this grading system and we come together. It's really interesting. 
It is very, very interesting. Some kind would say that. I would not, but um, <laughs> I definitely wouldn't say it's interesting. But uh, all right, let, let's close with this one. Maybe the most uh, controversial figure oh, of this Bulls season. We've graded the players, but I think it's only fair as well to grade the coach, Jim Boylan. What did you make of his season? Well, no doubt it started out. There is only one acceptable answer here, by the way. I'll put that before. <laughs> no doubt it started out with a lot of bumps in the road. Uh, it started out clearly with an F with, you know, just the embarrassment of a potential mutiny and the way he handled Jabari Parker, I thought was disgraceful, but I don't see how you can argue that February was, was magical. There were a lot of great moments. I, I kind of find his, his, uh, his speak endearing, his speeches endearing. I'm a big believer in that kind of stuff, uh, kind of speaking in, in ethereal tones and in and, and making uh, big visions of grandeur. And uh, I really enjoyed some of his post-game discussions. Um, but I will agree with you. I'm sure you're, you're going to give him a very negative grade. Overall, I'll give him a C. I, I, I'm not you know losing sleep about his return, but I, I, I hope the Bulls kind of keep open, make the contract so that you know, they can move in another direction if this season does not go well. As if, uh, to me, I think the Bulls should have a 20 to 25 uh, improvement in wins. And I, I don't think as long as they get to, you know, some reason, re- reasonable modicum of health, they should have that type of increase. And if they don't achieve that, they're another uh, looking at another season between 28 and 35 wins. That's absolutely going to be on the coach if we're somewhat healthy. This team has far too much talent to have another disastrous season like we've had for the last two years. And a lot of that is on Jim Boylan. So I don't want to see any more dumb situations where we waste, we're out of timeouts with six minutes left. That's an inexcusable mistake. I don't want to see any any kind of amateurish stuff that we saw early on. And I'm giving him the benefit of doubt because I think all of us in our jobs, you know, struggle initially within the first 30 to 60 days. I want to see more of what we saw in February. What say you? Well, look, I'll, I'll give Jim Boylan credit for getting Zach Levine to buy in to a degree. He deserves some credit for that. that it, we, we went from a position where Zach Levine was clearly calling out the coach to the point where he wanted to pay his fines after a series of technicals. So clearly he did something right in that locker room to get Levine back on board. But having said that, I cannot look, I cannot overlook the worst opening week a coach has ever had in the NBA. That was just completely shameful. And on his resume, Fred, he has the fact that he's led the Chicago Bulls team to their worst home record of all time. This is the fifth worst record the Bulls have ever had. He oversaw, not only oversaw, but he instigated the worst loss in franchise history. He is responsible for that. Not the players. He is responsible for that. And, I have to add in the fact that he pissed off several other coaches in the process with his lack of professionalism throughout the season. And just when he talks, he's a complete boob as well. So (laughs) he irritates me quite, quite a lot. I do not respect Jim Boylan at all as a coach. Maybe I'm being hard here, but I'm going to give the man an F. This was ridiculous season and he shamed the Bulls. And I'm disappointed that there's not more Bulls fans, particularly like you in the Sea Red Army that aren't taking their anger towards Jim Boylan, who made a mockery. Of this bullshit. He did not make a mockery of the season. He let me, did. Let me Fred. tell you what a mockery was. The way Fred Hoinberg handled you get two injuries to your power forward. You got a guy sitting there in Jabari Parker, your your big free agent signing as the obvious power forward. Let's start the twenty two year old 195 
pound rookie at the power forward position and Chandler Hutchinson who failed miserably because you put him in a position that you can't succeed. Let's 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 just start it's there. Not even close to Fred Hoiberg was an embarrassment. Fred Hoiberg did a much worse job <laughs> than the great Jim Boyle. Not even close. <laughs> not even close. F for Jim Boylan. We've settled that one. <laughs> Absolute fail for the coach of this Bulls, but um hopefully you can at least progress them. to a D next season. February saved them. I like you you saw the uh did you read the article with uh Mayberry, the the, the great Darnell Mayberry's article? I, I did read that. I well did. so how could you possibly say that he's he doesn't know what he's doing? He knows what he, he's doing. He clearly understands the game. He'll know he knows more about the game than I will ever know. But okay. that doesn't mean what he did on, on the court uh, produced to a level that I'm comfortable with. I don't need to read out his resume again. It was a complete embarrassment for what spirit. Jim Boylan put he's forward. He's got spirit. He's got a lot of spirit, spirit. He's got a lot of soul, and that's about all he's got as far as I'm concerned. I need to see more <laughs> next season. If he's gonna... That's all you need. <laughs> well, yeah. Play hard and play physical. That's all you need from Jim Boylan. But um, complete F for me. I needed to get that off my chest one last time this season. But um, I got you. Fred, I'm not going to... I'm not going to talk about players like Blakeney, uh, TLC, Jakar Sampson, Cameron Payne, Raleigh Elkins, Brandon Sampson, Sampson, all these players. I don't care about them. Well, we I, don't I, need to I do want to players. talk about one player. T- I do want, oh, I, I want to talk really quickly on. about T, uh, TLC, Timmy Lulu uh, Carrot Top. That guy <laughs> sucked. That guy it made my all-irritation team. I don't know if you've ever seen my all-irritation team. My first team, all-irritation team before. These are players... Um, that that infuriated me in the Paxgar era. The most the so I got point guard Jerry and Grant, shooting guard Isaiah Cannon, small forward Justin Holiday, power forward Cameron Bear style. He doesn't have a good hairstyle. Uh, Felicio <laughs> is center, and then the second team part two Kirk Heinrich, Keith Bogans at shooting guard, Eddie Robinson, Drew Gooden, and Aaron Gray. What say you? Where does uh, well, well, TLC? Stay? I mean that 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 team would be much better than this Bulls team this season. They'd probably win a lot more games than that than, than the team we sort of rolling out in the last month. So um, they might be irritating, no, but um, they probably would have been better on the court. <laughs> no way, Cameron Barristow at power forward is going to beat this team. No, no way. Come on, how dare you? <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe. Fair point. Fair point. But uh, look, Cameron Berso is Australian, so I won't have that slander on this podcast. But look, that just about rounds out this podcast. We've gone on long enough. Hopefully, people have stuck around this long. And if they haven't, I don't blame them. To be honest with you, <laughs> given how much of a shambolic uh, episode this has been, and how much of a crazy season this has been for the Bulls, this is probably the last time we'll be talking about this specific season in detail. And Hopefully that is the case. I, I said that last time, but um, hopefully that's the case this time. But Fred, I appreciate you coming on and giving us your pearls of wisdom as you always do. I learned a lot about gravity. I learned about a lot about um. That's probably about all. But uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Spirit, yeah, I learned a lot. Of, uh, so thank you for jumping on, mate. I appreciate it, brother. And hey, big picture, we both love the beloved bull. I think if you can't see the greatness that's on the horizon here with uh with the beloved bull with Vari. Zach Levine, Wendell Carter Jr., and this draft pick that's upcoming this this summer, I think uh, you got to be a full fledged dope because this there is greatness <laughs> here, and it's imminent and it's on the horizon, and you better get on the bus because if not, I'm not coming back to pick you up. You could pound sand along with all your friends in Minnesota and Milwaukee. We're going for it <laughs> in the next three years, so get on board and strap it in and get invested. Because if not, I'm leaving you where you're at, which is on the gutter, on the curb, with mud on your face, and uh, ice cream in your hair.
I mean, ice cream is my biggest weakness. That's probably the one truth that you've actually uh, put forth in that in that uh, rousing speech there. But uh, great way to close. Thanks for coming on, Fred. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Talk to you later, my man. Always enjoyable. Take it easy. All right, folks. So that was Fred Pfeiffer in fine form as always. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Bulls HQ. Like I said, thank you for hanging around and sticking around in this one. It was a bit all over the shop, but um, Fred and I got into it a little bit there at the end, which is always fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bulls HQ. I don't know when I'll be back next. Maybe next week, maybe the week after. Depends on how things are progressing, but we're getting closer to the lottery. We're getting closer to the draft and free agency period, so I expect that to be the focus of the shows moving forward. So until then, thank you for joining me. We'll be back very shortly, but I appreciate you listening in. This has been Bulls HQ. Speak soon, everybody. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.